following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I won't point you out, but some of you are way off. Some of you have false notions about heaven. If you were a zealous Muslim and you were to die a martyr's death, you get to go to paradise and there get 60 virgins. Definitely appealing to a lustful man, but not all that attractive to the virgin, who is now stuck for eternity with a hairy terrorist and 59 other women. <laughs> Maybe you've got a Mormon background, and if you die, then you get your own planet, and you become God, and your women, not just one, have the privilege of being eternally pregnant and populating the planet. Again, for you gals, eternal morning sickness and eternal stretch marks. What a nice treat. Some come from a Hindu background, and after death, you will come back as something terrible, like a used car salesman or a monkey. Uh, if you're really bad, definitely a cat. Um, why? So you would atone for your sins of your past life. If you're secular or poorly taught, then heaven for you is putting on a comfortable white sheet, growing chubby along with popping out two small wings, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. Time Magazine asked over 20 years ago, 20 years ago, do you believe in the existence of heaven where people will live forever with God? And the answer to that question was 81% said yes, 13% said no, and 6% gave no opinion whatsoever. Then they asked, which do you believe are in heaven? Angel, 93%. St. Peter, 79%. Harps, 43%. Halos, 36%. And in spite of all this confusion, the word heaven is used over 800 times in your Bible, describing three different places, three different places, uh, there is no seventh heaven, but there are three different kinds of heaven. First is atmospheric heaven. That's the sky, the air. That's referred to multiple times in the scripture. Then there's the stellar or celestial heaven. That's the universe, the stars, the galaxies, etc. And then the third heaven is the divine heaven, the abode of God. Jesus taught us, did he not? He taught us to pray, and he's saying, Our Father who art in, there you go, heaven is called a place, a real place, uh, as real as Washington, D.C., as real as New York City, as real as Los Angeles, as real as Emmett, California. A place which does not seem far because the moment a believer dies, they go from this place to that place in a moment, in a moment. The third heaven is just as real as the second heaven and as the first heaven. But why should you believe in this real place called heaven? Well, because, let me give you six really shotgun answers. Uh, John 14, Jesus called heaven my father's house, which he goes to prepare a what? A place. It is a place that he prepares for you. Revelation 21 and 22, number two, describes heaven in detail as a literal place with walls, gates, foundations, and a street. Number three, Matthew 10, Jesus taught that heaven is the dwelling place 
of God, the dwelling place of God. And number four, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul actually visited the third heaven, right? He went to this special place, this unique place, and he visited that unique place. And then number five, our citizenship, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, is in heaven, not the sky, not the outer space, not aliens, but the third heaven. And number six, heaven in Hebrews chapter 11 is called the city and is called also our heavenly home. So then why are Christians, maybe even some of you here today, not passionate about heaven? Well, it's the four W's, right? It's because of wrong, worldly, wimpy, or weird views. <laughs> Wrong, wimpy, worldly, or, you know, weird, strange, wrong views about heaven. Some of you right now have idolatrous views of heaven. Possibly satanic manipulations describing heaven or worldly views of heaven. When heaven comes to mind, it's only of the toga-clad roundling, you know, sitting on a cloud playing his little harp. Understand, or worse, maybe your indifference to your eternal home is exposing an indifference to your commitment to Christ. Or maybe you've never studied or read or meditated on what heaven is truly like for Christians. Or maybe, and this is really indicative of our culture and our particular environment, you're just too comfortable here. Just too comfortable. Maybe a little bit too preoccupied with the entertainments of this life to actually engage and anticipate your coming and living in your future home. So today, can I gently, graciously, as a fellow sinner saved by grace, encourage you to repent, to repent of your non-passion over heaven. Repent and understand, begin the habit of daily thinking about your eternal home daily thinking about being consumed with heaven, longing for heaven. How about a little aching for heaven? You need this message, the final in our series on eschatology and what is to come. You need this more than you, what you realize. You need this more than you know. The prevailing attitude of Christians is heaven can wait. The title of this sermon should have been heaven can't wait. Too many of us are afraid to think about life after death, and the only time we actually really think about heaven is when we have someone who is a loved one who dies. How sad. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you thinking about your future home. He wants you longing for it. He's worked on it so that you would be blown away by it. And he wants you constantly excited about going to be there. He wants you to be thrilled that you get to go to heaven. My sister Wendy just moved from Spokane, Washington to Marietta, California. Coming to Faith Bible Church, I'm really excited about that. So what do you do when you move to a new city? You start checking out churches, checking out neighborhoods, schools, climate, restaurants, shopping areas, entertainments, outward enjoyments. You actually start researching everything you can in order to learn everything about your brand new home. Christian, Heaven is your brand new home. You should be wanting to know everything about heaven. You're only going to be here for you know, one to 90 years. Joan's working on it. 
You're going to be in heaven forever. Forever. <laughs> it's your new forever home. You want to check it out. You should want to know everything about it. Everything about heaven. So, what is it that God wants you to do right now? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Look at it. Set your mind on things where? Above, not on things that are on earth. Let me paraphrase that, and this paraphrase is actually accurate. Are you ready? Here it comes. Stop thinking about earth and start thinking about heaven. Christmas paraphrase with intonation, okay? Understand, think more about heaven than this life. When you think more about heaven than this life, what happens to you? you when you become rightly consumed with your heavenly home, heavenly thinking will restore your hope when you're going through trial. Heavenly thinking. Dwelling on heaven reassures you that God is in charge and he knows what he's doing in this life. Dwelling on heaven reassures you that God knows what he's doing. Uh, focusing on eternity reminds you that this world is not all there is. Setting your mind on heaven reinforces your heart on what your true treasure really is. And your true treasure is not in this world. It is not. And heavenly longing will reignite your passion to serve the Lord aggressively right now. It'll restore your hope, reassure you, remind you, refocus your heart, reignite your passion. You maybe have heard the saying, you're too heavenly minded to be no earthly good. That phrase is absolutely from the pit of hell. It is right out of the mouth of Satan. It is actually the opposite that is true. The opposite. Uh, the truth is, being heavenly minded is the only thing that will make you any earthly good at all. Heavenly minded. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Look at that quote in your outline. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the Lord in their present life were the ones who thought the most about the next. You don't have to die to think about heaven. Our Lord has revealed your future home in his word and also several other resources that were super helpful in this study that you might want to check out. Randy Elkhorn has a wonderful book called Heaven. He made a shorter book. If you don't like big books, then it's a shorter book, In Light of Eternity. He even made one for kids, Heaven for Kids. It's, they're good. They're good to ponder. They're good to think through. They're good for you to have thoughts, even if you disagree with some of his points. Uh, there's another guy, Mark, Mark Hitchcock. He's not reformed, but he is solid in his eschatology, and he's got a book, 101 Answers to the End Times, that was really helpful. And then, of course, John MacArthur in his book, The Glory of Heaven. But point number one in your outline, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Most of this comes from Revelation 21 and 22. The Bible taught us, and this is what actually brought about our series on end times. It taught us, I almost tripped, uh, that Second Peter, that the current heaven and earth is going to be totally done away with. Remember that? It's going to burn completely, totally burn everything gone everything gone not only devoid of sin but you got to get this actually the exposure the memory the the smell of sin is absolutely gone he he burns it all so there's no remnants of sin whatsoever in the new heaven and new earth it is a totally new creation a totally new universe a perfect expanse to enjoy and to explore it's going to be incredible like a salesman, I want to give you a tour, except with this wonderful exception. Are you ready? What's the exception? It costs you nothing. I'm selling you on what's already free for the believer. 
It's absolutely free because only Christ was capable of paying the price necessary to secure your entrance into heaven. And he offers it freely to all who believe and then obey. So here are the S's of heaven. Are you ready? The S's. First in your outline, the splendor of heaven. The splendor of heaven. Heaven is a glorious place because of what is there and also because of what is not there. What is not there? Revelation chapter 21 and 22 tell us there are 11 things not in heaven. Are you ready? The sea, sin, death, mourning, crying, pain, night, a temple, a curse, sun, or moon. Now, no more sin means there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more cursing. No more temple means no more going to your knees in prayer. You just go talk to Jesus. Okay? Are you ready for that? This glory takes care of night and also the need for the sun and the moon. Now, what else is not there? We could add no eyeglasses. <laughs> oh, isn't that awesome? Danny, no LASIK. You don't even need it. That's awesome. No braces. No wheelchairs. No false teeth. Don't show them, okay? No hearing aids. No crutches. No hospitals. No paramedics. No aspirin. No accidents, no cancer, no heart attacks, none of that. You see, what is heaven will be the glory of God. And when you say that, some of you don't really get the glory of God. You know what the glory of God is? It is the summation of all of who God is. It is the summation of all his attributes, everything. The things that we know and are revealed from scripture and the things that we even get to plumb the depths of the limitless God. His glory will be on display and we will be in eternal awe and wonder over who he is, his vast character. Heaven is ablaze with his radiance. So tour with me, let's look at the sights. Secondly, the sights of heaven, the sights. There are many, many among us who picture heaven like a national park. I know some of you love Yosemite. I love Yosemite, I love Yellowstone, I love the, the Grand Tetons. I mean, I've seen some pretty places, the Southern Islands of New Zealand, unbelievable, unbelievable scenery. And you say, oh, it's gotta be like Prince Edward Island. Oh, it's just Anna Green Gables everywhere. It's just, it's gonna be great. Uh, you know, it, it's gotta be, uh, you know, that, like that. Uh, listen, you're wrong, you're wrong. Heaven is not a pastoral, it's not even the English rolling hills of, of, of the Lake District. It is a city. Heaven is a city. Take a look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Our new home is a huge, perfect city called the New Jerusalem. Now we love the city, except for sin. And this city is without sin. No crime, no pollution, no stranger danger, no violence, no potholes, no power outages, no sleazy shows. This city will come down from God's abode. What's he telling us? He's telling us God designed it, God made it, and God assembled it to sit on a new earth as the capital city of the new heaven and new earth. It's going to be incredible. Now get your iPhones out, take a, some, a few pics. The wall is going to be 216 feet thick. That's 72 yards, those of you who are doing the math. 70, that's almost a football field thick and 1,500 miles high. That's 7 million feet high. The wall tells us that heaven is a place where you'll always be secure. There's no dangers there. The gates, each gate is made of a single pearl. You ever heard that phrase, pearly gates? 
That's where it came from. It's guarded by an angel. Peter is never, ever, ever, ever said to be at the pearly gates. That's for comedians, not Christians. <laughs> Understand, each gate is inscribed with one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the gates describe heaven as a place that you can access. You're free to come and go. The foundation, there are 12 foundation stones in heaven. Each are marked uh, differently, and they are a different precious stone marked with the name of one of the 12 apostles. Each one of them, these foundation stones, are describing also heaven's stability and heaven's permanence. Permanence. The street, there's only one street in heaven, the city, the main street. It is made of gold so pure, it is like transparent glass. Transparent glass. The street tells us heaven is a place of travel. I have to share this with you. There once I was told that there was a very, 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 very righteous, godly man, very wealthy Christian, and he got special permission from God to bring one suitcase full of his wealth to heaven. And so he loaded it with gold bricks. When he arrived in heaven, the TSA angel told him he'd have to look in his suitcase because that's the way things are. And the angel opened it, and he was shocked. And he looked at the wealthy man, and the angel said, out of all your wealth, you decided to bring pavement? Just, just a thinking kind of human. Um, the river, the river runs through heaven, bringing the city eternal refreshment. Everything's made new. The water of life is offered to all. In this life, all you get is the dirty, polluted toilet water of religion, philosophy, and perversion in this life. But in heaven, we have the fresh, clean water that actually gives and sustains life forever. The throne, God is seated on his throne as king, as monarch, as the absolute sovereign, unquestionable ruler of the universe, affirming his sovereignty. Snap a photo of the tree, friends, because humankind was kicked out of the garden and because we were basically refused and barred from the tree of life in Genesis 3. But now in Revelation 21 and 22, all that was lost in the fall, all you have to do is compare Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and compare it to Revelation 20, 21, and 22, and you'll find that everything that was lost in Genesis is now recovered in heaven. Everything. So those are some of the sites. Take a look at the size. Thirdly, the size of heaven. The heavenly city is 1,500 miles on each side. To understand that, let me compare it to our moon. Our moon is 2,160 miles in diameter. So heaven is almost as big as the moon. Almost as big. Coming down to settle on the new earth. A brand new earth. The shape is a perfect cube. Uh, containing 2.25 million square miles, or 3 trillion, 375 billion cubic miles of space. It has enough room to accommodate 100,000 billion people. 100,000 billion people. There's a lot of room. So, what is the substance of heaven? Number four in your outline, the substance of heaven. Heaven will have no cinder blocks. Heaven will have no linoleum. Heaven will have no particle board. Only the best materials will do for the dwelling place of the sovereign, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. The foundations will be built of diamonds, of blue sapphire, of emeralds, of topaz, of other precious stones, total gates of pearl, streets of gold. There is a lot of bling in heaven. But it's not gaudy. It's jaw-dropping, 
Awesome. Awesome. Now, this is not a trick question. I know sometimes I do trick questions. So please believe me when I say this is not a trick question. I need to know how many of you women right now, and I want you to raise your hand, and just be honest. Just be honest. This is not a trick question. Please. You love precious stones. Can I see your hands? Come on, put them up. You love precious stones. Come on, thank you. A few honest people in the room. Yeah, come on, can you get a diamond ring? Come on. How many like precious? Come on, I want to see them. All right. Are you ready? Wait, this is not time for you to talk. All those women who raised their hand, according to my Bible, you're biblical. Okay? <laughs> That's right. Get it right. You tell your husband, this is biblical. <laughs> Look at it. Diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, topaz, precious stones. Come on. You don't get more biblical than that, right? How about fifthly, the sanctity of heaven. The sanctity of heaven. Uh, the holiness of heaven means it's a place where no sin, no evil will ever exist. In fact, it is the new heaven, new earth. Let me say it again. I, maybe you didn't get it the first time. I want to say it again and again and again and again. This will be a place that has never seen, smelt, heard, uh, been touched by sin, evil, wickedness ever. That's why he burns the old one. There is absolutely zero remnant of our rebellion. Zero reminder. The sanctity of heaven. The Apostle John writes about the kind of people who are excluded from heaven. And these are not those who used to live this way. Get this now. He's not talking about the people who used to live this way. He's talking about those who continually right now live this way, okay? Are you getting the difference between those two? Because there are a bunch of you in this room, including myself, who used to live this way. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who still live this way. What are they? Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the cowardly. That's a little frightening in our age because the people who live by fear aren't going to go to heaven if that's what you live by. Doesn't mean you don't suffer from fear from time to time, but you live by fear. You know what I mean? The cowardly. He also says the unbelieving. Anybody not believing in Christ? I know some of you have sons or daughters who said, I, I've just determined not to believe in Jesus. And it's broken your heart. But understand, they're talked about right here as the unbelieving. They're not vicious. They're not evil. They just go, I'm not going to believe. Well, they're not going to heaven either. He says also abomination and murderers and immoral persons, those with premarital sex, those with uh, ongoing adultery. He talks about sorcerers. That's bad witches and good witches. Even the really nice ones, sorcerers. Idolaters. That's anybody who worships anything other than Christ. Your car. SeaWorld. I love Shamu. Uh, animals. Your kids. Anything other than Christ, ongoing as a pattern of your life. All liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. At your funeral, again, you will not be in a better place unless you have turned from your sin and you follow Christ as master. Only then are you in the book of life, and that's what he says in Revelation 21 verse 27 he says nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life only those covered in the perfect righteousness of jesus christ which comes by faith in christ will be allowed in heaven 
only those. Those are the essence of heaven. Well, number two in your outline, what are you going to do in heaven? What are you going to do in heaven? Well, as we take our tour, you might be wondering, is there football in heaven? Is there golf? Is there hiking? Uh, exploring the universe? Is there, most importantly, eating chocolate in heaven? Will you get bored on a cloud strumming a harp? I don't know who came up with that, but that is the dumbest view ever. <laughs> most people see heaven as a place of inactivity and endless boredom. The rebellious will say, I'd rather go to hell than be with all my friends than to be bored in heaven. Listen, the, the frightening truth of eternal torment is this. There is no fellowship in hell. You're not, you're not hanging out with your bros having beers. You're not with them at all. You're alone in isolation, in torment forever. It's only heaven that speaks of eternal fellowship. Only heaven, where we're one with Christ, in communion with Christ. We are one internally with him, and then we're internally, your internal person with other people, one with them for the first time ever, something you've never experienced. Do you understand it? That when you get to heaven, you will know people. You will know them without ever meeting them because you're one with Christ and one with each other. Uh, the clues you have in scripture are very strong. Peter automatically knew it was Elijah and it was Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Nobody introduced him. He knew that they were Moses and Elijah. Immediate recognition. The rich man recognized the poor beggar Lazarus in Luke 19. You will know each other on a whole new level in eternity. And a level that you could barely touch in marriage right now. Barely touch. You will know people on a deep, deep level. Listen, let me put it to you this way. You will never meet a stranger in heaven. How do you like that? Ever. Before you hear what you'll do in heaven, remember what you won't do. You'll never sin. You'll never make a mistake. You'll never need to confess your sin. You'll never need to repair anything. Sorry, Johnny, no cars. No leaky faucets, no burned out light bulbs, no broken down cars. You'll never have to rescue someone. You'll never have to defend yourself. You'll never have to apologize. You'll never have to, you'll never have to apologize. I do that all the time. You never experience guilt. You'll never have to battle Satan. You'll never struggle with your flesh, ever. You'll never have to resist the world. You'll never have to be healed. You'll never have to be rehabilitated. You'll never have to experience any weariness. You'll never ever be lonely. You'll never be anxious and you'll never fear again, ever. Wow. What will you do? First in your outline, more S's. Singing, singing. Heaven is a place of unending worship without distraction. Worship without distraction. Even if you can't carry a tune right now in heaven, you will sing as if you're a platinum artist. It'll be that good. They'll want albums of your singing. Right now, they want to bury you somewhere. In heaven, they'll be going, man, I've never heard anything so good. Your eternal life will be an offering to the Lord who gave you life and gave you eternal life. Look at Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. 
Revelation 19, verse 4, take a look at that. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God and all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something. It was going to be incredible. Like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, he reigns. He rules. I believe there is constant worship in heaven. We will all participate in turn from a heart of joy and anticipation. It will be, write it down, wonder without ceasing. It will be, write it down, joy without lessening. It will be, as we've already said, worship without distraction. No distraction at all. Secondly, serving. I don't know if you knew this, but there are estimated 40,000 different occupations in the U.S., and yet very few people are satisfied with their job. Very few people. Personal problems, inadequate income, uh, wearying routines, stressful relationships rob people of their joy at work. We've all experienced it at some point. Yet in heaven, there will be service without what? Exhaustion. Service without exhaustion. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. It says, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will what? Serve him. Each one of you will find full satisfaction, 100%, nothing lacking as you serve the Lord in the various occupations he creates for you to do in glory. You know what spiritual gifts are? Spiritual gifts are doing what God made you to do. And when you do it, in this life, you can get tired, but man, it's full. Your joy is full. Can I hear an amen from those who know that? It's true. It's true in our service. Well, in heaven, it's absolutely perfect. There's never a time when you are not fully, absolutely, overwhelmingly satisfied by doing what you do in heaven. You will love your work. Every single aspect will fill you with joy, satisfaction beyond measure. Beyond measure. You can't even measure it. Thirdly, supervising. You will rule without controlling. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. There will be ruling. In the garden, Adam and Eve were to rule over creation that God had designed for them and God had made. In the new heaven and new earth, people will reign forever over God's new creation as servant kings. They will. There's not a lot of specifics, but you will rule. Luke 19, verse 17, look at it. And he said to them, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you will be in authority over ten cities. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Fourthly, sharing, fellowship without fear. Fellowship without fear. You ever wondered what it would be like to be a part of the perfect church? By the way, you haven't found it. Just saying. We will find out in heaven. You will be a part of the perfect church in heaven. Fellowship in heaven will be sweet. First with Christ, one with him and communion with him, one internally with him. There's a oneness that is found within the triune God that is now found with all his believers. Learning from him. Uh, you know how... I'm sure in your life, you at some point have experienced this where you got the urge to pray. And you got down on your knees and you started praying. In heaven, you won't do that. You just go talk to Jesus. Are you getting the difference? There, there's no longer separation. 
And being one with each other means we'll know each other and enjoy each other. You'll actually like people. You will. You'll love them. And again, you will never meet a stranger. You'll be one with all. Internal you with the internal of the other. Somehow this oneness. And then fifthly, studying. Studying. Learning without fatigue. Remember how you grew in love. Now, maybe for some of you this is a long time ago. You grew in love with the one who'd become your spouse. And you never tired of learning about his ways or her ways. Remember that? Remember that? Anybody? Remember that? Maybe it was a long time ago. Listen, in God's family, we will spend eternity learning more and more about Christ's person and Christ's ways. And you will never, ever stop plumbing the depths of his character. See, Chris, how can you say that? Are you ready? Write it down. Christ is always infinite, and you are always finite. You never stop being finite, and he never stops being infinite. Infinite meaning you'll never, ever, 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 forever and ever, ever stop plumbing the depths of the, the sweetness and the glory of his character. It will be ongoing forever. And you will never get bored of learning more and more about the one we love more than life and exploring the new heavens and the new earth that he created. He creates that, not just, you know, so you can look at it from afar, but we can be a part of it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Sixthly, being served, rest without boredom. Being served. There's no mention of us serving each other in heaven. No mention of that. But there is mention of us serving Christ and Christ serving us. Are you ready for that? It's true. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Take a look at it. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he, Christ, will come up and wait on them. Are you ready for that? Ever the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, will actually wait on us. The greatest among you will be the servant. His beloved bride will be served, and he will meet our needs forever. Now, sadly, the jury's still out on golf and chocolates and racing. But we will sing, we will serve, we will supervise, we will share, study, and be served, and more in heaven. So number three in your outline, what do you want to know about heaven? What do you want to know about heaven? Well, will there be degrees of rewards in heaven? What I do in this life now, does it make a difference in heaven? Well, Psalm 58, verse 11, surely there is reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Proverbs 11, verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a what? True reward. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Some think that rewards cheapen grace, or they distort godly motivation. 
some think that, but the Bible actually declares that you will stand before Christ and be rewarded for what you did in this life. And the Bible is actually very specific about it. He talks about crowns. Crowns. And when you study the New Testament, there's crowns given for specific service and conduct, like practicing self-discipline, saying no to stuff. You get a crown for that. Uh, looking for Christ's coming, that's crownable. Uh, those who endure suffering and trial, a crown. Uh, there's a crown for those who share the gospel and lead others to Christ, a crown. Those who shepherd God's people well, a crown. And rewards are, are not for you to show off in heaven or be trendy. Uh, the Bible describes the elders representing the church casting their crowns before Christ. Take a look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. And the 24 elders will fall down before him and sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. They, they give their crowns back to Christ, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, who received glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The more crowns, the more casting to Christ. In other words, most believe, theologians, that rewards have to do with capacity. Your capacity to glorify God. What you do right now in life will make a difference in your capacity to glorify God forever. The more service, the more giving, the more sharing done for God's glory and the power of the Spirit will mean greater capacity to glorify God for all eternity. Whoa! You mean some people will glorify Him more than others? Yes! Uh-oh. Some of you are going, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, won't that result in jealousy? No, you're sinless. You're not going to sin anymore. Uh, and really, it's just like eating Thanksgiving dinner. Say, so what do you mean? I can eat a half a turkey. I love turkey. Anybody else love turkey? Oh, okay, three of you. Thanks for that. My grandsons can barely eat a drumstick. And yet, when we're done with our meal, we're both really full. They're stuffed to the brim, and so am I. And that's what it's like in eternity. It's the, the greater capacity, but everybody full. Everybody full. It does make a difference what you do in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God right now. And all those who are rewarded will have a greater capacity to bring Him glory for all eternity. What will our bodies be like in heaven? Well, if you're young, you don't think much about this. If you're old, you're reminded daily about this. You're suffering the bees, the bees of old age, right? You know what they are. Balding, bifocals, bulges, bunions, bungling, and bulkiness. <laughs> the bees. Yeah. He's going, wow, you'll get there, bro. Trust me. I remember when he said that. Yeah. As the outer man and woman falls apart, we begin to, don't we all, older people, groan for glory? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 remind us of our glorified bodies will be like Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and then he says, who will transform the body of our humble state, that's us now, into conformity with the body of his, what? His glory. By the exertion of the power that he has to even subject all things to himself. What was Christ's body like? He ate food. He had scars. He looked someone like he did since he was recognized. Christ was not limited by space or time or walls or locked doors or more. He could appear and disappear at will. He could travel great distances. 
Your eternal body will be imperishable. It'll never decay. It'll never die. It'll never get wrinkles. It'll be perfectly suited for a perfect environment. It will be distinct from all others, glorious, spiritual, just like Christ, doing everything that you will it to do. I want to go up this mountain. Yep, no problem. Since this body will never, ever disappoint you. Ever. What part of your body right now do you want to change? Is it your height? Is it your weight? Maybe your hair. Maybe you just don't like your face. Your arms, your neck, your skin. Well, friends, your eternal body, you'll need no exercise, no sauna, no massages, no dieting, no dairy intolerance, no gluten-free. You can just eat raw fat, man. You're in. <laughs> No plastic surgeons. You will receive the perfect body made just for you, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. There is not one of you in this room that's going to go, you know, I wish it would have been this. There'll be absolutely no regrets on any front. How old will you be in heaven? Well, obviously, infants who die uh, and aborted children will be older in heaven. 95-year-olds and 100-year-olds will be younger in heaven. God created Adam and Eve as adults, and they never had to be kids. They never had to be adolescents. Wow, neat. <laughs> Presumably, they were created at the optimal age of physical development, since God said after making them, he said it was very good when he made them, correct? Jesus died around 33 to 35 years old. When he resurrected, he appeared to be about the same age. So what will it be? Are you ready? We don't know. <laughs> but we can safely say that the Lord will give you a body that reflects how you would look in the prime of your earthly life without sin. You don't have to be young to be the prime in your sinless body. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be young. If you're going to be prime, though, prime. Just say that word with me. Ready? Prime. Will there be animals in heaven? Animals are part of creation. The earth will have plants. So why not animals? In the thousand-year kingdom, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf will lay down with the lamb. This is the kingdom now. The leopard will lay down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little boy will lead them and the cow and the bear will graze together and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox again and nursing child will play with by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den if the kingdom that thousand year kingdom which we just described here in isaiah is the front porch of eternity then there's a great chance there'll be animals in heaven i can't tell you and i'm not certain that your favorite dog will be there Pretty sure your cat won't be. No, not sorry. I wasn't going to say that. I did anyway. I'm a bad boy. Um, you know, there's a really good chance there's going to be a kind of some unique horses in heaven. Because when Jesus returns, he's riding a horse, a white horse. And then, Revelation 19, verse 14, And the armies which are in the heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. And somehow they're going across the sky. So I don't know what kind of horses these are, but they're pretty incredible. So, I don't know. You know that's an unknown. That's all we know about animals in heaven. Will there be marriage in heaven? Marriage. The Bible does affirm that the marriage union is terminated at the death of a spouse. That's why someone who, you know, their spouse dies, they, they can and should, if they so desire, get remarried. 
They don't always have to, but they can. Uh, that does not mean that we won't enjoy a special relationship with our spouse in eternity. But we will be one body more intimately connected with each other and all the other saints that we have ever been in this life, including our spouses. Listen, you will be closer to everyone in heaven, closer than you are to your spouse right now. You will know them more intimately. We will finally know Christ's design for full oneness and perfect fellowship with each other, something the best marriages only can begin to taste in this life. And again, I'm not saying you won't have a special relationship with that partner, but understand uh, that's what we know about marriage. What is the purpose of heaven? The highlight. To see Christ. To glorify God. To, see, to be with him face to face, to be one with him. The purpose of the place is to be with Christ, life with Christ, forever with Christ, eternally with Christ. If Christ is not what you're looking for in eternity, then you don't understand heaven. You might not understand Christianity. He's the goal. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting on it was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance, incredible. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. We see Christ. Uh, John MacArthur writes this, quote, I believe that in heaven we will see God himself with our physical eyes. God will reveal the light of his glory through perfect eyes. We will see the very face of God. God is spirit, and spirit is invisible. Therefore, whenever God manifests himself, he does so in the form of light, end quote. Seeing Christ and communion with the triune God will eternally awe us. Talk about joy everlasting and awesome aweness. Where we're just, wow. Never. Never does it stop. Never does it cease. So take this home. Ready? Letter A in your outline. Thinking about heaven must become a habit. It must become a habit. I'm trying to actually say 10 things to myself every morning. 10 things. Every day, I say, maybe today I'll be more filled with the Spirit than I was yesterday. Maybe today I'll share the gospel. Maybe today I'll sacrifice for a believer. Maybe today I'll repent of a new sin. Maybe today I'll rejoice in trial. Maybe today I'll let love cover sin. Uh, maybe today I'll release someone with forgiveness. Maybe today I'll show off Christ with my giftedness or a sacrificial action or a thankful, gracious, joyful demeanor. But and along with those nine other things, I say every single day, maybe today, I'll get to go to heaven. Maybe today. You need to say that every day. You need to say that every day. You need to start that habit and don't stop. You need to say, maybe today, Lord, I'll get to be with you. Maybe today. Make thinking about heaven a habit. A habit. You need it. You need it in this culture. You need it in this world. If persecution intensifies, and my friends, it's going to, you're going to need it most often then. Maybe today. Letter B. Grow to make heaven your constant hope. Grow to make heaven your constant You're not home yet. This is not your home. This world is not your home. Your house is not your ultimate comfort, satisfaction, and heart longing. Heaven is. Heaven is where you get to be with Christ face to face forever. Heaven is where you get to be freed from sin and all its consequences and its memory forever. Heaven is where you get to live eternally in a perfect body 
forever. Heaven is where you're going to learn, work, and serve with a greater satisfaction, fuller joy, every single moment forever. And letter C, would you make certain you've made heaven your home? What a crime to be here and hear this message about heaven and not be there. That's almost criminal. Are you in the family? Are you related to Jesus Christ? Listen, are you his child or are you the lost supermarket child? You ever seen the lost supermarket child? You've seen it. Maybe you were that child. You're still working it through. You're still bitter at mom and dad. <laughs> you know the lost supermarket child? It's up at the cashier. It's right here, right here. You can see him, right? Nobody knows who they belong to. Don't be that way, Christian. Don't be the person that nobody knows if you belong to Jesus or not. Make sure it's obvious. Make sure he lives through you. Make sure he dwells in you. Make sure that you're his child. Don't play with your eternity. Don't mess around with heaven and hell. Make sure you hate sin now. You long for Christ now. You're submissive to your Lord now. And if not, would you turn from your sin in repentance? Would you say, now my life, now Christ is yours. I'm putting it on Christ by faith. Cry out for him to transform your heart. And when you do, he will make you into a new person in order to enjoy a new life now, an eternal life. Are you ready? In a new heaven and a new earth and a new forever. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your word and change our lives. Draw some who don't know you to yourself. Make sure that they know that they're your child. And for the rest of us, we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to long to be with you. Cause us to hope in heaven, to rejoice in the wonders that await us. And Father, we'll give you glory as a result. Let us be more heavenly minded. Let us be less earthly minded. And Father, we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.